you are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Amen, amen. Go ahead and take your seats. We are uh, seven days away from Christmas. This, this time next week, Christmas morning will be just about over. Uh, we're sort of in this, this is sort of the, the last push. And there's sort of all this, this frenetic uh, uh, energy around. Everyone's rushing around trying to get everything done and everything prepared and everything ready. And, and at a certain age, the excitement level is just building and building and building. But for certain other ages... There's some other things that are building. Just stress. How am I going to get all this done? How are we going to travel from this place to that place? How are we going to get this there? How are we going to prepare? How are we going to do all of this? There's, there's stress that's building for some of us. There's a general sense of cynicism. How often do we hear people say, uh, Merry Christmas in a sarcastic tone? Do you ever hear that? Merry Christmas. How could you treat me like that at Christmas? And what's wrong with all these people? Everyone else in the mall is, is selfish except me. How come everyone came here before me and took all the good parking spots? This, this stress, this cynicism, which really comes from a self-centeredness. There's this growing desire of when am I, when am I going to just get me time? When, when am I going to be able to put my feet up and uh, to rest. That's, that's kind of par for the course as far as a Christmas in Canada goes. Uh, the kids are excited, but the grown-ups tend to be uh, stressed, cynical, and self-centered. And we, we try to put on this good face. And we're going to look today in the Gospel of Luke. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. The ushers are coming up and down the aisle with copies of God's Word right now. But there's a significant disconnect between the way the people were thinking and feeling in the original Christmas. There's a significant disconnect between how they were thinking and feeling and the way we often think and feel. And sometimes there are moments where we wonder, what's all of this about? And why are we bothered? What's with, why the stress? Why am I going through all of this? And we need to be reminded, we need to see with fresh eyes the, the Christmas story. You see, God offers to us, not just as it relates to Christmas, but as it relates to our whole lives, God offers to us something that replaces stress with hope, that replaces a cynicism with, with a joy and with a peace that replaces selfishness with a selfless love. And we're going to see here in Luke chapter 1, we're going to see how God offers that to us and how we receive that. If you're here today and you are a Christian and you believe in Him, and then it's easy for us to fall into those patterns of thinking about ourselves, or being cynical towards others, or just stressed. And we need to be called back to what Christmas is really all about. But maybe you're here today, and you're not a Christian. You, listen, you need, to, you need to lean forward today. And, and whether or not you believe in God or not, I want to ask, ask you to, to pray a simple prayer with me today, just to say, God, if you're real, would you speak to me today? Because... We want everyone in this great city, and we certainly want everyone in this room right now to have that joy, that love, that peace that we see here in the Christmas story, in our own Christmas story. And I can't do that. We need God to be able to do that. And so let's ask him uh, to do that now. Our Heavenly Father, God, we come to you with our Bibles open. I pray also that our hearts would be open. For some of us, the reading the Bible and studying it is a, is a new thing. For others of us, this is something that has been going on for decades. And so whether we're hearing this story for the first time or whether we're so familiar with it, 
Lord, I pray, God, that you would speak in a way that is new, and that is fresh, and that is life-transforming. I pray that you would do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And today we're going to cover a 40 of verses to, to wrap up the, the end of Luke chapter 1. Uh, Luke 1 has really been the two stories at this point. Uh, Gabriel appeared to Zechariah to, to talk about a miraculous birth to his wife uh, Elizabeth. And then Gabriel, the angel, appeared to uh, Mary to tell her that she was going to uh, conceive as a virgin and give birth to the Son of God. So we, it was sort of two stories, two miraculous births. And then when we get to Luke 1 verse 39, these two stories are going to come together. And so we see this in Luke 1, verse 39. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. If we're going to have joy and peace this Christmas, we're going to need to understand some things. And here's the first thing that we're going to need to understand. That Christmas is about believing. And we need to understand that in order to benefit from what Christmas offers us, we need to recognize that God blesses those who believe. So if you're taking notes today, jot that down. God blesses those who believe. So Mary goes and she visits Zechariah and Elizabeth. Why did she do that? Well, Gabriel, the angel, told her that, that not only was Mary going to have a baby, but that her relative Elizabeth was also pregnant. And, and Elizabeth was postmenopausal. She was beyond childbearing years. And, and Gabriel told Mary about this miracle. Mary believed it, so she went to go and confirm it with Elizabeth. Now, sometimes when we read the Bible and we read stuff like, you know, she went into the hill country of Judah, we just assume that it's just sort of like around the corner and down the street. Well, that, we, that doesn't specify the town. It says one of the towns in, in, in Judah. Even if, even if it was in the northern, far northern region of Judea, Mary's coming down from Nazareth. We are talking a minimum of 95 kilometers that she had to travel. We often think about Mary and Joseph making that big long journey down to Bethlehem, which was also in the region of Judah. But Mary took another trip on her own to go and visit Elizabeth. Mary, who's dealing with being newly pregnant herself and wrestling with, with, with feeling so tired and morning sickness and all of that sort of thing, she went on a 95 kilometer journey which would have taken four days. And talk about believing what Gabriel told her. Picture yourself just getting up this afternoon and walking to Oshawa. Walking 95, having it take four days. You would have to you know, stop maybe at Yorkdale, spend the night there, and then maybe get to the Don Valley Parkway, and, and, and you're only kind of halfway there at that point. You just kind of keep having to go... Those steps of faith that Mary took, believing, listen, God blesses those who believe. And what we see here is what is so true in all of our lives, that when God tells us something, and when we step out and we actually believe it, that he is right there to confirm it. Her, her trip was, was not in vain. Take a look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, the text tells us here that Mary had only greeted Elizabeth. She hadn't shared any news. She hadn't described uh, what Gabriel had told her. But John, in, Mary, in Elizabeth's womb, leapt as soon as Mary came in. The Holy Spirit filled Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is saying, blessed are you and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth knew that she was pregnant without Mary even telling her that she was pregnant. How's that for confirmation that God was working? That Elizabeth just sees Mary walk into the room and she knows that she's pregnant. Now, men, I warned you last week, even if you think you know a woman is pregnant, you never open your mouth. 
But Elizabeth, being a woman, has a little bit more leeway there. And being filled by the Spirit, kind of, you know, for sure she can say that. And so here she is giving this incredible confirmation. Then look what she says. It's astounding in verse 43. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Look how she refers to the baby that's in Mary's womb. She calls the baby my Lord. Lord is used 17 times in Luke chapter 1. The word Lord is all over. It's all over Gabriel and Zachariah's discussion. It's all over Mary and Gabriel talking. It's, all, it's just the whole, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And every time it's referring to the Lord God. And Luke is being intentional here. He's talking about the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And then when Elizabeth is talking about Jesus, she uses the same word. In the same grammatical construction. Because the child in Mary's womb was not merely a child. He was God in flesh. Here we have the worship, the recognition of the deity of embryonic Jesus Christ. In the womb, it was recognized by the Holy Spirit, spoken by Mary, that Jesus Christ was indeed Emmanuel, God with us. That he was incarnate, which means God in flesh. This is what Mary declares. Sorry, Elizabeth declares to Mary. Verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. What put Elizabeth onto this was John leapt in her womb. Listen, John was doing his job. What was John's job? His job was to point people to Jesus. Even in the womb, he was doing his job. Here we have this in utero first meeting between these two cousins, John and Jesus. And John does his job. And later on, as, as adults, John was going to see Jesus. And he again was going to do his job. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's role was to point people to Jesus. And our role is to point people to to Jesus. You might not have known it in your mother's womb, but if you know it now, now you know your role. An angel might not have come and told your dad about what your purpose in life is, but you know your purpose now. Your purpose is to point people to Jesus. And think about the small, simple act, just, just the, the, the movement of him in Elizabeth's womb. That's all it took. Sometimes God gives us great opportunities to point people to Jesus. I'm thankful for this opportunity that I have right now to stand here in front of hundreds of people and tell people that Jesus is the way. But I, I have many opportunities with, with, a, with a, a waiter in a restaurant, with a, a, a neighbor when he's shoveling his sidewalk. I, I have a numerous opportunities each and every day to point people to Jesus. Am I taking advantage of each and every opportunity? Are you taking advantage of each and every opportunity that God gives us to point people to Jesus? Christmas is such an amazing opportunity for that. To invite people to our Christmas Eve services, to, to write a, a Christmas card to someone explaining the true meaning of Christmas. God blesses those who believe. Then look at verse 45. Elizabeth sums the whole thing up. She says, and blessed is she who believed. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The blessing comes when we choose to believe. When we choose not to believe, we forfeit the blessing. But when we position ourselves as believing, then we are positioned to be receiving the blessing from God. See, it's, it's been God's in, intention from the very beginning to bless people. And the conduit through which the blessing is supposed to flow is believing him, trusting in his word. I mean, look at the very beginning of the story. Genesis chapter 1. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. You think about God's checklist, you know, before eternity began. You know, create universe, create male and female, and bless them. That was the next thing on the list. As soon as they were created, his desire was to bless. As, 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 as soon as you came into this world, God's desire, his plan was to bless you. But something's gone wrong in that plan, hasn't it? The serpent slithered into the garden. And what did he say? He wanted to stop God from blessing people. And so how was he going to stop God from blessing people? He was going to stop God from believing or stop people from believing God. And so that's why he says in Genesis 3 verse 1, Now the serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say? You can't really believe his word. You can't really believe that rule about eating the fruit. Did God really say? And, ra- and then Adam and Eve both, rather than believing that God was good and believing that God's intention was to bless them, what did they think? They thought God was withholding blessing. Well, they need to eat this fruit because God's holding out on them. But God chooses to bless those who believe. Is there any area of your life right now where you are asking God to bless you in the midst of your own disobedience and disbelief? I'm not talking about doubts and struggles that we go through. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I can kind of compartmentalize my life. And I think, God, over here, I want you to bless me. I know that over here in this compartment, I'm being completely disobedient to you, but I really need you to come through over here. And we have these little boxes. God only ever sees one box. And he is eager to bless his people. But he blesses his people when they believe his word and act on it just as Mary did. And so Mary's a great example to us here. But listen, Mary isn't some sort of ultimate example that all of us are supposed to look to. Our Roman Catholic neighbors and friends are really misguided as it relates to Mary. They, they talk as though Mary was somehow superhuman, as, as somehow now we are supposed to be praying to her. What made Mary special was that, was that she believed that God was going to do what she did. That's where the blessing comes. That's what Elizabeth says in verse 45. Blessed is she who believed. She wasn't blessed because she was better than all of the other girls in Nazareth. She wasn't blessed because she was any more holy. She was blessed because she believed. And that's what we are called upon to do. But I can understand why Roman Catholics get confused about this because even when Jesus was walking around preaching and teaching, the people listening to him were really confused too. Take a look at Luke chapter 11. It says, and as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. So back then people were saying, man, your mother must be so special. She must be lifted up to this place of prominence. And Jesus is very clear. Without disrespecting his mother, Jesus says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's where the blessing comes from, from believing God's word. That's why Mary was blessed. And so you've got people who are praying to Mary, a Hail Mary full of grace. And Mary's like, stop it. I don't give grace. I received grace. Pray to God. He's the one who blesses those who believe. Someone asked me in between services, you know, when Mary says stop it, I don't even know if Mary can even hear our prayers. God is the one who hears our prayers. My, my point is that, is that we need to understand that it comes from believing God's word. So how is Mary going to res- respond to this incredible confirmation? She was going to Elizabeth thinking she was, gonna, she was going to share the news, but Elizabeth already knew it. Mary's wondering, like, am I already showing? How could she even, how could she even tell? And here's how Mary responds in verse 46. It says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his 
servant. Here's the second key to joy at Christmas and joy throughout our entire lives. Here's the second key to fight cynicism, selfishness, stress, is to understand that God exalts those who are humble. He blesses those who, who believe and he exalts those who are humble. Mary doesn't magnify herself. She doesn't make it about her. Verse 46, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary isn't making a distinction here between, well, my soul feels this way and my spirit feels that way, as if her soul and spirit were two separate things. No, she's she's speaking synonymously. This is sort of a, a, a way that Hebrew poetry worked is you have, you make one statement and then you follow it up with a statement that sounds almost exactly the same but creatively different. Some people teach that we have a different soul from our spirit. That's, those, those words are synonyms in God's word. But she doesn't magnify herself, she magnifies God. She doesn't rejoice in her own goodness or her own holiness. No, she rejoices in God and she calls God her savior. Mary needed Jesus to save her. We all need Jesus to save us. And she recognizes at the end of verse 48, For behold, from now on all generations shall call me blessed. She's a humble woman. She marvels at the fact that from from generations on, people were going to recognize the significant role that she played in God's plan. Again, not because of anything that she did. She's humble about it. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. She doesn't give her resume. She talks about God and what he has done. He is the one who is mighty and holy is his name. Her name isn't holy. She's humble. She's giving the glory to God and not to herself. And then she spreads around in verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So she's saying, listen, I'll be considered blessed among every generation. But the only reason why I'm being blessed is because God, throughout all generations, in the past and in the future, he's a merciful God. He's been merciful to me, and he'll be merciful to many people as well. Mary is not self-centered. She is not proud. She is humble. And God has exalted her. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. All throughout the New Testament, we have this idea of reversal. There's these proud people who are on their thrones and they seem like they're there to stay and God just scatters them around. And he just topples them off their throne. And then there's the humble and the lowly people that God chooses to exalt. That's simply the way God works. Verse 53, he's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Remember Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The blessing comes for the people who are humble, who know that they need something. They are hungering. But the person who's, who's full and rich and thinks they don't need anything, they won't think they need Jesus. And so they'll be sent away. But the people who know that they need a Savior, they are the ones who will be filled. Verse 54, she expands what she's talking about from her own personal experience now to the broader nation. She says, he has helped his servant Israel, in remembrance of his mercy. There's the word mercy again. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Abraham was chosen according to the mercy of God. God chose to bless him, not because of anything that Abraham did. The Bible, the narration tells us that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God showed up in Genesis 12 and told Abraham that he was going to bless him and make him a blessing. Not because of anything Abraham did, but because of the sheer mercy, the sheer loving kindness, the sheer steadfast love of God. And so Mary looks back to Abraham and then look how she ends in verse 55. She looks back to Abraham and then she looks forward to eternity. She ends with the word forever. 
She knows that what is happening in her womb and what is happening with Elizabeth and what is happening in her life is not just for her, that it's going to make sense of history. It is going to be that promise of Abraham being a blessing to all nations is going to be fulfilled. And it's not just going to be fulfilled on earth, but on into all of eternity. And it says in verse 56, Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So Mary goes home, but the story stays with Zechariah and Elizabeth. It says, now the time came for Elizabeth uh, to give birth, and she bore a son. And so all of these promises are beginning to be fulfilled. And Mary and Elizabeth are seeing God working, and we see here that there is belief happening, and there is humility happening. You see, pride, pride thinks about God as though we just somehow include God in our story. Like, here's my story. My story's kind of missing something. I need to add another character to make it more interesting. So God's going to come into the story, and that's just going to enhance my story. It's going to enhance my life. That's not the way Mary and Elizabeth are thinking about things. It's not that we add God to our story, but that we find ourselves, we're actually already in God's story. That's why they're looking back to Abraham, looking forward to forever. So often we think we're just adding God to our thing, and what we need to be saying is, God, add me to your thing. I want to be a part of the greatest story ever. And so John is born in verse of 57, verse 58 says, And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John, verse 61. And they said to her, None of your relatives are called by this name. They're thinking, man, we ordered all this stuff from, from Etsy already. It's all monogram with Zachariah Jr. on it. What do you, what do you mean you're going to call him John? And so they go and they ask Zachariah, verse 62, they made signs to his father inquiring uh, what he wanted him to be called. And so it's clear here that, that Zachariah for nine months wasn't only uh, mute, wasn't only unable to speak, he was also deaf, he couldn't hear. And so in... Uh, in verse 63, it says, he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And we're going to find out a little later about what he said when he spoke. Verse 65 says, and fear came on all the neighbors and all these things were talked about all throughout the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Then verse 67 says, And his, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. So Zechariah is about to unleash. And the, the second uh, poem in this chapter, this, this theologically rich, scripture-saturated work of literature. And Zechariah, after being silent, for nine months, has the, the use of his vocal cords once again, and this is how he chooses to use it. You know, there's a great encouragement, especially if you're listening here today and you're thinking, man, God blesses those who believe and God exalts those who are humble. Maybe you're here today and you feel like, man, I, I don't believe. Once I did, but I've really walked away from the faith. And maybe you're thinking, okay, God exalts the humble, and you think, you know what? I don't, I don't walk humbly. In fact, I've, I've, I've been on the throne, and I feel like God's kicked me off that throne many times. And I, I haven't chosen humility, so God has given me humiliation. And maybe you're feeling like, it, it's, it's too late for me. If the, keys, if the keys to this whole joy thing, if the meaning of Christmas and the meaning of life hinges upon a belief and humility, then you're probably thinking, well, it's, it's just too late for me. Because I, I don't believe, and I'm not humble. I want to be in charge. I don't want to magnify God. I want to ignore him. 
Well, you need to understand that your story's not over yet. And for some of us, the humiliation has been so strong and God uh, throwing you off your throne uh, hurts so much, you think that God is just permanently displeased for you and that there's no future for you. But you need to understand, yeah, Zechariah was silent for nine months, but then he opened his mouth and blessed the Lord. And God greatly used Zechariah and even Zechariah's story, even Zechariah's story about his doubt and even Zechariah's story about how God had to discipline him. God greatly used him. Don't ever think that you're beyond God using you because of some bad choices you've made in the past. It's never too late. It's never too far. And so Zechariah is going to be greatly used here. In verse 50 or 68, he expands a beautiful poem of God. Verse 68 says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now this is incredible. This is Zechariah, who was, who's really known up until this point in the story for having doubts, for not believing. And now, look, look at the way he's speaking. God has visited, past tense, redeemed, past tense, raised up, past tense. The guy who was so doubtful is now so confident that God is going to work that he's talking about events in the future as though they already happened. He's no longer saying, how shall I know that this will be? He's no longer asking for a sign. He is rock solid confident that God will fulfill his word. 69 talks about this horn of salvation. Horn, biblically, is a symbol for strength. It's a horn of salvation. God was going to save his people, and it's going to come from the house of his servant, David. Now, Zechariah was from the house of Aaron. He wasn't a descendant of David. And again, remember, John's role was to point to Jesus. And so even in the song of celebration at John's birth, it wasn't about the child, it was about Jesus. And look, this is, this is what we need to do as Christian parents. Even on our child's birthday, even when we celebrate things in our family, the ultimate focus, and John's gonna, he's gonna, or Zechariah's going to talk about John in a minute, but the ultimate focus needs to be about the Lord and giving thanks to the Lord. And so this becomes all about Jesus. He is the, he is the one who is from the house of the servant David, Verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. This is predicted in Psalm 2, Psalm 110, Psalm 89, Micah 5, Ezekiel 34, Amos 9, Isaiah 11, 16, and 55. Just to name a few of the prophecies about a descendant of David being on the throne. And this is what was going to happen. Verse 71, it says that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the, mer- again, mercy. It's all because of the mercy of God, the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. So he starts with David as the king of the nation. Then he goes back to the establishment of the nation and talks about Abraham. And this was the nation that was established that would be a blessing to all the families of the earth, including my family, including your family. Verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now he turns and talks to John, 76, and you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the, lo- the Lord. That's all, that's all the attention John gets. <laughs> There's that one little verse. John will be called great. He'll be called the prophet of the Most High. Why? Because he's the one who's coming before the Lord. The Lord who Elizabeth declared was was Jesus Christ, God incarnate in Mary's womb. You shall go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Verse 77, to give knowledge of the salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. Because of the tender mercy, there's the word mercy again. Because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
I really want to zero in here on these last three verses of this poem. Zechariah sort of provides the theological and historical context, talking about David and Abraham. And then he talks about what it means for us. And he talks about this whole idea of a sunrise from on high. He talks about light for those who are in darkness. And if you're going to truly understand joy, joy that pierces through the cynicism and the selfishness and, and, and the stress of life, you're going to need to understand this. And maybe you have understood it in the past. You need to come back to it. Or maybe you've never heard this before. You need to understand that God gives light to those who are in darkness. God gives light to those who are in darkness. Verse 77 says that when the Lord comes, and John's role in preparing the way for the Lord is giving knowledge of salvation. Now, he used the word salvation earlier in verse 69, and that was, a, that was salvation in a military aspect, in a political component, in economic oppression. And God had, had a plan for his people and has a plan for his people as it relates uh, to those things. But now he's talking about salvation on a far deeper level. Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. You see, the people of Israel had a problem that was bigger than the Roman Empire. The people of Israel had a problem that was bigger than politics, that was bigger than economics, that was bigger than culture. And in the same way, we have bigger problems than the problem that we think are our biggest problems. Our biggest problem, just like Israel's biggest problem, was our need for the forgiveness of sins. This is what Jesus came to do. This is why he was born in a manger, in order that we would have forgiveness of sins. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, rather than, rather than desiring to leave us in our sin and punish us for our sin, God is tender and merciful and wants to forgive us and has made a way through Jesus. Let me explain to you how. It says, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness. God has given his son like a sunrise, like light to those who are in darkness. What is being communicated here in this passage and what is communicated all throughout the Bible runs completely counter to the message that we are hearing in our culture. It's in our movies, it's in our literature, it's in our music, it's in our schools, it's everywhere. It's like the air that we breathe. Here is the message of this world in a nutshell. Our world teaches that the problems that we face are caused by exterior forces. They're obstacles that are hindering us from achieving our fulfillment. Uh, uh, being successful, that the problems are all on the outside. Uh, mean people, uh, uh, abusive uh, parents, uh, a society that, that is somehow against us, evil and hatred, economic, whatever it may be. We live in a world that teaches the problems are all out there. And our world teaches that the answer is right in here. And what every song and every story and every movie and every pep talk says is there's a lot of problems out there, but you need to look within. You need to believe in yourself because you have it in you to overcome. That is the message that our world is communicating time and time again. They all have the problems. The problem is out there. The answer is in here. And what is happening in our world today is we are raising an entire generation that is not taking responsibility for causing any problems. There's always someone else to blame. There's always an asterisk. There's always a footnote that is blaming other people for problems. But then here's what's happening. 
They are looking They are looking inside of themselves because they are being told time and time again, listen to your heart, believe in yourself. And what's happening? People are looking into their hearts and they are seeing nothing but darkness. And everything that seems true in the songs and in the movies and in the books and in the lectures seems to be working for everyone else because everyone's talking about it and celebrating it, but when they look into themselves, they actually see nothing but darkness. And then that's why there's so much hopelessness in our world today. Because we're, we're being told to look inside of us, but the Bible gives us a very different story. The Bible by no means minimizes problems being caused by the outside. The Bible by no means says that economic oppression is okay, or abusive parents are okay, or the evils in society are okay. The Bible acknowledges and recognizes those things, and even promises to deal with those things. But the Bible doesn't say that the problem ultimately is on the outside. The Bible says the problem ultimately is on the inside. And the Bible does not tell us to solve that problem by looking even deeper on the inside. The Bible tells us that the solution to our problems doesn't come from the inside, it comes from the outside. It's the sun, it's the dawn, it's the coming of light, it's the sunrise from on high. The message of Christmas is that God has come from the outside to transform us on the inside. That is, that is the gospel. That is what God has called us to. That is what Luke chapter 1 is all about. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness. Are you in darkness here today? Here's some things, here, here's some ways to know. Take the metaphor and and really let it sink into your life. What is true of you if you are in darkness? Well, when you're totally in the dark, you don't have direction. You just don't have direction. You can't make sense of where you were because you can't see it clearly. And you have no idea of where you're headed. And so if you're here today and you feel like you have no direction, chances are you're in darkness. Because you're looking inside of yourself for direction and it's not there. So I I got a question to ask you about about direction. Do you feel directionless? Because chances are that's because you're in the dark. I also want to ask you a question about danger. Is there unusual amounts of and disproportionate amounts of fear and anxiety and worry in your life? Because when you're actually in the dark, let's say you're in the woods in the dark in the middle of the night, every snap of a twig, you have no, that could be a mountain lion, or that could be a robin. And, and so there's fear all around, because you can't tell if there's a, a, a band of of wolves, a pack of wolves that's coming after you, or if it's just the, the leaves rustling in the wind. So there's this, there's this irrational fear. It's another sign that, that, that we're in dark, no sense of direction, and a, a real sense of fear and worry and anxiety. And then, the, so a question about direction, a question about danger, and then lastly, a question about delight. You don't, you, you can't tell if you're, looking at a beautiful landscape or, or in the eyes of a, a beautiful person or a beautiful sunset or sunrise because you're in the dark, you can't see. And so you're not seeing beauty in your life. It's all just the same monotone black. Jesus has come to shine a light He has come to take our darkness and to fill it with light. He's come to give us direction. He's come to protect us from danger. He's come to allow us to enjoy delight. See, here's the thing. 
when it's talking about the sunrise, when it's talking about the light, it's not just, it's not just a, 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 it's not just a concept, it's a person. It's not just light, it's, it's Jesus that, so that the direction comes, we're able to make sense of our past because we see it clearly and we know where we're headed and Jesus, who is the light, is walking beside us. And in danger, we, we can look around us and see what's coming at us and we know that Jesus, who is the light, will protect us because he's not just an impersonal force, he's a person who's promised to be with us. And with delight, it's like we see the world with new eyes. And things we never noticed before, we see the beauty in big things, in small things, all because Jesus is with us. How did all of this happen? Well, this is promised long ago. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. This, this was a prophecy about Jesus coming, that he was going to bring light. Then Jesus shows up on the scene in John 8, 12. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. How did Jesus give us the light of life? How, was, how do we become recipients of his light? Well, do you, if you're not familiar with With the gospel story, let me just tell you an important detail that when Jesus was betrayed and arrested and crucified, something happened in the natural world. Right when Jesus gave up his life on the cross, it says that darkness came over the whole world. And in that moment, Jesus, who is the light of the world, As he was suffering and dying on the cross, he identified himself with, took on all of the darkness inside each and every heart. And he died as a substitute. If you you keep reading in verse 79, it says, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. Jesus died Because the wages of sin is death. He took the darkness. He took death when he died for us on the cross. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts because our hearts are dark. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of God. Of Jesus Christ. You might be asking yourself, well, how do I how do I get this light into my life? Well, it's as simple as the things we've been talking about today. God exalts the humble. It's gonna take humility. It's gonna take the humility to admit that there's darkness in there. It's gonna take humility to admit and to confess the ways that you've sinned and rebelled against a loving and good God. So you've got to humble yourself and acknowledge that you're a sinner. So God exalts the humble and then also God blesses those who believe. And so recognizing, yeah, I, I, I admit, I humbly say that I am a sinner who has rebelled against God and I believe that when Jesus died on the cross that he took my darkness, that he took my sin, that he died my death in my place. And if you humble yourself today and admit that you're a sinner, and if you believe today that Jesus died and you've died for you on the cross, then you can receive the gift of eternal life. And then it goes on at the end of verse 79, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's the third step. Once you've humbled yourself, admitted that you're a sinner, once you've believed that Jesus died on the cross for you, then it's a commitment to let him guide you. Commitment to let his light guide you on the way of peace. Maybe you're here today and you think, well, I've, I've made that decision, but I, feel, I still feel like I'm in, dark, I'm in the darkness. First John chapter 1 makes it very clear that even if someone knows the truth and is a Christian, they can still walk in darkness. And they need the light. They need to be reminded. They need to take the same steps. They need to. 
admit that they've been sinning. They need to believe that Jesus died for them. And they don't need to ask Jesus back into their life. They just need to recommit. And maybe you need to do that today. If you're here today and you're in the darkness because you're not a Christian, or if you're here today and you're in the darkness because you are a Christian but you haven't been living like one, today is the day to let the sunrise from on high shine on you. And so let's bow our heads right now. I'm going to lead us in prayer. I'm just going to pray a very simple prayer for those who are here today who want light in their lives, who want the forgiveness that Jesus offers and the salvation that he offers. And so let's bow our heads together and pray. And if you, if the words of my prayer express the desires of your heart, then I would just ask you to just either repeat after me or say it in your own words quietly to yourself and invite the light of Jesus Christ into your life. Let's pray. Jesus, I humbly admit to you that I am a sinner. That I have proudly put myself on the throne where only you belong. I confess to you sinful actions. And I confess to you sinful thoughts and attitudes. And I believe, Lord Jesus, that I can be forgiven because you died on the cross for me. That you took my darkness so that I could receive your light. And I commit to following you. And I commit to letting you guide me on that path of peace. Amen. And God, we continue to pray right now. I pray for the people in this room right now who prayed that prayer and who have responded in faith today, God. I pray that the light of the gospel, the light of the truth, the light of your love would flood into their life, God. That that they would see their past more clearly, that they would see their future with greater confidence and courage, Lord, that they would know that you are with them and that they would find delight in you and in all that you have done. And God, I pray that you would be with those who, have been, who are Christians who, as I have at times, Lord, wandered and walked in the darkness and needed to come back to the light, needed to humble myself, Lord, and, and believe the gospel afresh, God. I pray that you would be stirring in the hearts of those loved ones, God. You don't want us to live like that. You want us to live with joy. You want us to live with peace and with hope. You want us to live in the light. So help us to do that, we pray. And God, I just pray that you would use us as a church to bring this incredible message, God, this message of light in the darkness to this dark world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.